stand upon that solid rock. I'm going to ask you to stand as we sing in number 406, The Solid Rock. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I cannot trust the sweetest strength, but holy Shall we pray? Father, as we come into your house this morning, we pray that our lives have been preparing us for this moment all week long. And this is not something that we're doing that's totally out of character for us. But we're in your presence and we recognize that presence with us always. Father, give us your eyes and your heart to love and to serve as as you would, to be your hands and feet in this world, and help us as a church whose foundation is Jesus Christ to know what we're about and to be doing what we're supposed to be doing. Speak to us now as we worship and open our minds and hearts to your spirits moving. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Please be seated. Good morning. We want to welcome you to First Baptist. Um, I know it's been a busy weekend for our community with a lot of things going on. And today is um, World Hunger and Backpack Blessing, a focus on that ministry. And following the welcome, we'll have a video on that. So just be in prayer is how you can be a part of that ministry. We'll just ask you just fill this out for us and place it in the offering plate. And if you'll just look for those visitors around you. Thank you. 
My name is Sierra Marie Beauchard and I'm one of the Backpack Blessings children. Every time I get a backpack, either, either Thursday or Friday, I kind of go home and every time I go home with it, I went, I go straight to my granny's room and I just rip the bag apart. The bats and shreds every time after I'm done with it. The children's eyes light up when they see us on Fridays giving them the backpacks. But we've had children that even try to eat them when they get on the bus before they get home. We've had a lot of the kids tell us how they share them with their brothers and their sisters because they have to do the lunch or something, snacks for themselves on Saturday when their mom's working, so they're using those. Well, when we're running low on food every on the month, at the end of the month, um, my granny takes some things like ravioli and she makes a soup out of it. Without backpack blessings, my, gr my brothers and me wouldn't have an after-school snack after school. And without backpack blessings, a lot of the things we love to go in our food, we wouldn't have. I think they're fixing that, those bags for me because some kids, they don't have their parents don't have enough money and they eat that food every day so they will have something to eat. Also one experience I had that was just absolutely wonderful is one of our worst little boys went to the Easter egg hunt and his mother didn't go and I was worried about how he was going to act because his behavior at our school is absolutely awful. At the Easter egg hunt we saw an entirely different child. He was a sweet loving child. He offered to share his Easter eggs with some of the younger children who didn't have enough and it was just amazing to see him in a different setting and what the Backpack Blessings Easter egg hunt did for him.
Boys and girls, it is World Hunger Sunday and Backpack Blessings, and many of you brought an offering. You brought a, a yummy snack that is going to go to children who don't have enough to eat at home once they leave school. And we're going to talk a little more about that in just a second. But um, Miss Sabina has a backpack here that's full of food. And let's see, um, the Happy Club today, um, Ellie Warren has it. And let's see what she's got in there. Okay, it's not even little, Ellie. Nothing in here. Tell me. It is empty. Tell me. What in the world? Were you playing a trick on Miss Sabina? Um, no, it was all coming apart. So we filled love with it. My mama fixed it. Your mama fixed it. I see now she did. Oh, good. Thank you. So your mama must uh, sew. She applicated around. Oh my goodness! And y'all filled it with love. I I believe y'all did because when we take care of something, we are loving it. And there is no greater gift than we can give to one another and to others than love. And I really appreciate this happy club bag goes from one child to the next. And sometimes as we're handing it off, I see it kind of needs a little bit of love and a little bit of washing. And I thank you for doing that for us. That is awesome. Um, and wow, this was perfect to go into Backpack Blessings. Um, and I just want to uh, just kind of share that boys and girls, four years ago in 2009, um, God laid on my heart um, after I read an article about a similar ministry. And I knew that we had hungry children here in Tiff County. And so we began to research and and we put that ministry into place, and I got other churches to come alongside us and help. And now, boys and girls, those children in your classrooms that you notice maybe don't have the same things you have, when those children are, someone notices that they're hungry, they get to take a backpack of food home every Friday. And then they bring it back on Monday, and we fill it again. So it is such a blessing to, to do that. And guess what that food speaks to them? It speaks love to them. Just like this bag, is now that they've taken care of it, is filled with love. Um, how many of you like to have a snack when you get home from school? Who likes to get... Are y'all hungry? Yeah, and so are these children. And, it, you know, if you don't get something to eat and you get real hungry, do you get a little bit of angry... Sometimes a little bit ill. Well, boys and girls, as Miss Janice shared about the Easter egg hunt, the little boy who was had so much trouble with his behavior, when they come into our church, they come and we can love them and not know anything about their behavior. And guess who they see? Not us. They see Jesus. And so these, these bags make such a difference in those children's lives, not just meeting a physical need. But I want to encourage um, everyone, um, you've got a bulletin insert that explained a little bit about the ministry and about how you can be a part of the ministry. But also one of the things that we started last year was you can um, come alongside and uh, get a card and pray for this, a child, a specific child, every week. Tina Baxter is going to be available at the front of the service when, um, when we end. She's going to be up here. And you can take a child and then 
You'll have that child's name and what school, and you can pray for them throughout the year. And um, we know how powerful prayer is, and I just want to encourage you to do that and be a part uh, of this ministry. Be the, the hands and the feet. You have certainly poured out generosity, but we, we want uh, you to come alongside us too in praying for those children. And um, we are just um, so thankful that Ellie brought what she did today. And um, we're going to go to the Lord in prayer. So if everyone would just bow their head with me and you can uh, repeat after me. Dear Father, we thank you for the food we have and our parents. We pray for children who do not have enough to eat. In your name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you. All right. And um, I appreciate, and boys and girls, all the offerings, uh, food offerings, you can just leave them here. And uh, we will get them to children. And it is a boy's turn this time, and I'm going to give the bag to Whit Jordan. Whit, will you take the bag and bring it back next week, please, sir? Here it is right here. And you can leave your food bags here, okay? And now, boys and girls, leave your food and stuff here, and you can go with Miss Sabina to Children's Church if you'll just go that way. We forget that we have more to give than just money, and we have more to give than time. And what Sabina said just a minute ago is so important. Everybody may not have the money to give. Everybody may be pressed for time, but you can always pray to the Lord. And prayer is where things are going to happen. Was paralyzed by fear when they heard a mighty multitude was quickly drawing near. But as they prayed for deliverance, the victory would begin. For when we call upon the Lord, we summon all of heaven. Pray. Very soon you'll win the victory. 
may seem in vain they don't seem to make a difference they don't seem to make a change just rest assured god knows your needs and he hears each time you pray your prayers are reaching heaven and the answer's on the name, the name that bore the sins for each of us. In 1 Peter 2.24 we read, He himself bore our sins on the tree, so that having died to sins, we might live for righteousness. Will you stand as we sing, Jesus paid it all.
together. Heavenly Father, we, we do thank you, Lord, for that precious blood of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, that shed blood for each and every one of us, for each and every one in this world. May we be challenged to share that good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, with those we come in contact with each and every day. Bless us now as we uh, look forward to all the many things, Lord, that you've blessed us with. We ask a special blessing on our country as we face an election in the days ahead. May we have your direction. May our country have your direction. May we turn back to God as we pray, Lord, that you will heal our land if we pray and ask ask for that healing. Now, Lord, we ask a special blessing on the offering that might be used in your will, in accordance with your will, to glorify your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.
Thank you, choir. We are in a series of sermons on uh, the books of the Bible, and we are in First Peter, and I was counting up this week, and I think we only have six weeks left. First and second Peter, first and second, third John, Jude, and Revelation. I guess I'll retire in six weeks. I have preached through the Bible. We'll see what, what happens after that. But uh, in First Peter, there's so many passages that talk about the church. 1 Peter 2, verses 4 through 12, the sermon is entitled, Who We Are and What We Do. Who we are determines what we do. Who we are um, impacts what we do. So if you want to know who we are as the church and what we are about, look in the Bible. Look in the New Testament. Look specifically at Peter, who was helping guide the fledgling church as it was becoming organized and as it was... uh, figuring out who they were as, as the people of God. And this is what he writes to his church. First Peter 2, verse 4. Come to him, to that living stone, rejected by men, but in God's sight chosen and precious, and like living stones, be yourselves built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture... Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and he who believes in him will not be put to shame. To you, therefore, who believe, he is precious, but for those who do not believe, the very stone which the builders rejected has become the head of the corner, and a stone that will make men stumble, a rock that will make them fall, for they stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, that you may declare the wonderful deeds of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were no people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I beseech you as aliens and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh that wage war against your soul. Maintain good conduct among the Gentiles, So that in case they speak against you as wrongdoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Let's bow together. Father, as we come here trying to figure out who we are as citizens in your world and yet living in this this one, Show us who you made us to be, who you've called us to be, and who we are in the process of becoming. And let that impact everything about how we act and what we think and what we say and how we relate to others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Once upon a time, there was a a life-saving station with a lighthouse. It had a building, a small building, and a little boat. And, and uh, even though the lighthouse was small, it had a powerful beam. And it was located on a seacoast where there was a great reef right out in the ocean. And, and oftentimes, ships would come and, and hit that reef, and they would shipwreck, and people's lives would be lost. But this lighthouse came, and it began... Uh, 
finding those people and rescuing them and bringing them into the shore. So many lives were rescued over the years that the Lifehouse became famous. And others wanted to come and join it and become a part of the excitement. And they brought with them their time and their talents and their their resources to support the work. And and more boats were purchased and new crews were trained and and other life-saving materials were, were accumulated. Over time, they became dissatisfied with their little house. And so they built a bigger lighthouse and they brought in nice furnishings and and it grew. They bought some more boats. But over time, they really enjoyed their fellowship with one another more than, than watching the shoreline and rescuing people. They became known as the club because they enjoyed being together. They got comfortable and they just lost interest in their life-saving work. Professional crews were eventually hired to do their work. And even though their life-saving vision was still the official purpose of the club, it was no longer their primary mission. So within the club, there was a small group that arose, and they decided to terminate their membership and start another life-saving mission down the seacoast. And over time, it grew, and it became popular, and people began coming to it, and, and they soon lost interest in looking for boats that were stranded on the reef, and they began to enjoy their fellowship, and and they got comfortable, and they built a bigger house, and and they brought in nice furnishings, and this happened over and over again. History continued to repeat itself until up and down the seacoast, there were many clubs, but still a lot of shipwrecks, and a lot of people were still drowning. I read that, and I thought of the metaphor of the church. What are we about? And have we gotten to the place where we enjoy our fellowship and our surroundings and our furnishings more than we do our purpose, which is reaching drowning souls for Jesus Christ? One of the worst things that can happen to a church is to lose sight of its mission and its business. If you want to know what our mission is, we we print it every week on the front page of your bulletin. The purpose of First Baptist Church is to be the church built on love, and our purpose is, and then we have a little acronym for love, where the church built on love, L stands for loving God and glorifying Him through worship. Worship is important. O stands for obeying God through prayer, Bible study, and discipleship. So Bible study is important. V, venture into all the world as His witnesses. Evangelism is part of our purpose. E stands for equip. Equip believers for ministry and encourage Christian fellowship. Yes, fellowship is important. L-O-V-E. We were at a staff retreat a few months ago, and we realized that most church members probably don't have this purpose memorized. If someone were to ask you what the purpose of First Baptist Church Tifton was, could you tell them? And so we wanted, we tried to brainstorm about something shorter and more memorable, and we came up with a little phrase Our church is First Baptist Tifton, and our purpose is loving God, loving Tifton. That short phrase we hope everybody will be able to to memorize. And when you're asked what the purpose of our church is, you'll be able to, to tell them, loving God, loving Tifton. First Peter helps clarify how we go about doing that specifically. He says we are in your outline, 
the people of God, we are a royal priesthood, and we are aliens, verse 11, in a strange land, or exiles in a strange land. But the first thing Peter tells us is that we are the people of God, verse 10. <coughs> Once you were no people. In other words, you were nobody. But now you are God's people. Church, you are in a covenant relationship with God through the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross, and you have become his people, and he has become your God. You once were nobody. You once were no people, but now you are God's people, and you're in a relationship with him. You represent him. Coming into a relationship with God requires some honesty on our parts. First of all, you cannot be in a relationship with God without having your sins forgiven, and your sins cannot be forgiven unless you've gotten to the point where you can acknowledge that you're a sinner and that you need to have those sins washed away and cleansed so you could be in fellowship with a holy and righteous and perfect God. When you realize that, that Jesus' blood will save you from your sins, that you cannot earn your salvation, you do not deserve your salvation, but he has offered that by his amazing grace and wonderful mercy. Then he comes in and calls you and saves you and designates you who once were no people, who once were nobody. He designates you to be his people, to be somebody, to be the people of God on the face of the earth. He has made us his family, his sons and daughters, and we represent him to most people. Do so you realize that when you go throughout your daily business, your daily activities and affairs, people see you, they identify you, perhaps being a member of this church, perhaps being a Christian, and measuring what Christianity means by how you conduct yourself, how you go about your daily activities. I'm so convicted that as followers of God, we are not supposed to blend in with the world and go along with the world, but we are called to be the salt and the light. And that means we are to stand out and make a difference. We are to stand against what we see uh, the world unraveling into. We are to, to be an a, a, a influence on the world like salt is that brings flavor, that brings zest, and, and even though at times it might always be comfortable, we need to tell the truth. Today, coincidentally or not, has been designated Pulpit Freedom Sunday, October the 7th. Today is the day when preachers across America are to stand up and proclaim what they believe and say with honesty and integrity. So I'm going to just take a few moments and tell you what I believe with Pulpit Freedom Sunday, realizing that we are the salt and the light in a world in which we have grown way too comfortable and assimilated into. Socially, let me tell you, I am a liberal. And by that, I mean, I think the Bible has some things to say about taking care of each other, liberally, generously. Taking care of those who cannot take care of themselves. The Bible says a lot about widows and orphans and strangers in our midst. And I think societies are measured one day by how well they provide for those who are most vulnerable. 
if the world, if, if our nation had done a better job 75 years ago of caring for those who were vulnerable in our society, we would have never had a federal welfare program. But unfortunately, 75 years ago was the heart of the Great Depression, and nobody had anything. And so welfare was, was originally intended to care for those who were starving. And that's where the church should step in. And that's why Backpack Blessings is so important. There are hungry children through no fault of their own in our community. And Backpack Blessings seeks to, to feed those children whom have been observed Monday through Friday coming in and eating breakfast and lunch and then, and then stuffing food in their pockets when they go home because they know there might not be anything until the next morning. How do those children make it through the weekend? Backpack Blessings has been the answer to that. So socially, I am liberal, but morally, I am a conservative. And what I mean by that is, is that I know what the Bible says about abortion and about same-sex marriage. These are not gray areas in the Bible that are open to differing interpretations. They're not. It's, it's black and white, what the Bible says. I also know that in the First Amendment, our Constitution protects our freedom as Christians to espouse our beliefs in the public arena and be protected by doing so, for doing so. And yet, it seems like in, in the media, every other religion has its rights protected, but Christians have not. And it's not a level playing field. Being a majority does not mean we have to be silent. It means being salt and light in a society that desperately needs to hear what God's word is on a matter. It might not always be popular, but it will always, always be true. Be salt and light and be bold in your Christian witness. If we conform to what society imposes upon us, then we're letting society transform us instead of us as Christians being the salt and light to transform society. That's what we're supposed to be about as the people of God. Secondly, we are to be a royal priesthood. In other words, friends, you are, you are priests. Do you realize that? You are ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The word priest in Latin means bridge builder. And bridges go both ways. Our bridge is a two-way street by which God comes across to give himself to others through us. And at the same time, we are to become the means by which people can cross over and come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. We are to listen and to witness and to pray and to be the kind of people that God wants us to be to make a difference presenting him to the world, being his hands and his feet in the world, and at the same time, taking folks to him. Now, let me say this because, as a matter of fact, this evening we have an ordination service for Stephen Sowell, and, and I want you to understand something about ordination as we understand it in the Baptist church. Ordination does not confer some special gift of succession that has been handed down from one pastor to another. That, that, that would be popism. That would be Catholic successionism. That's not what we believe. We believe that, 
that God wants all of us to be ministers, but we see his hand in a certain way on someone special, and we affirm that, and we celebrate that, and we set them apart. That's what ordination is. It does not mean that Stephen or I or any of your ministers are, have any special gifts or are, are special in any way. All of us are ministers. All of us are serving. All of us are supposed to be doing what God calls us to do. Occasionally, I'll have someone call me and say, Brother Wayne, I want you to go witness to a friend. God has placed them on my heart, and I'm happy to do that. But what I also want to say is, is since God has placed that person on your heart, maybe he wants you to go with me. And in the process of sharing with this person, I can be training and discipling another. That's what faith is all about on Tuesday night. That's why we, we trained about 175 people so far to go out and witness, not to be afraid, not to be ashamed, not to be reluctant to talk about Jesus in the workplace, in their neighborhoods, in their homes, and train and equip them to feel comfortable enough to be able to do so. All of us can do that. There was a cartoon in the Christian Index this week. I hope you saw it. It had two men talking over their fence in the backyard. And one guy is leaning over and he says to the other, Our church is in that time of transition between working hard to find a new pastor and then sitting back and letting him do all the work. There's some humor there. Because I can't do it all. Our, your, your staff ministers can't do it all. That's why God has every member being a minister and a ministry. And we all have to go out into the community and exercise our gifts to accomplish the ministry that he has given us, you, and only you. So what's a pastor to do? Ephesians 4, 11 and 12 says, <clears throat> And some he gave pastors and some teachers for what? For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. That is my calling, that is my role to equip you, to edify you, to, be, to become the best minister that you can be. So you don't have to call on me to go do the work of the ministry, but you are free and equipped and enabled to do ministry yourself. Can you imagine if First Baptist Tifton had not just one minister or, or four or five ministers, but had eight or nine hundred or a thousand ministers in this community. We could turn this county upside down in the, in the matter of a few days. And that's what our calling is, to be a royal priesthood. Finally, Peter says in verse 11, Beloved, I beseech you as aliens and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh. What is he saying there? He's saying that I realize... You live in this world, but don't get too comfortable because you don't belong here. Your citizenship, when you become a Christian, belongs in heaven. That's where our identity is transferred to. That's where our citizenship belongs. I never really knew how this felt or what this meant until I went on a mission trip to Nicaragua a few years ago. We finished our work on Thursday, and we came back into the capital city, Managua. We were going to um, come in on Thursday night, have a little R&R. &R. We went to a nice restaurant. We went to the, a big mall in Managua, and uh, we split up into groups and went to, to movies. There was like a, a movie venue there, 
And I, the movie I chose was in Spanish, but it had English subtitles, so I was able to enjoy it. But when I came out of the movie, I was by myself. And I, you know, I looked around in this big mall, and I realized I was the only, I guess, Caucasian there. And it was a little unnerving. And I, I sat down for a few minutes, and I just kind of wanted to soak it in, because for the first time in my life, I was someplace I didn't belong. I did not fit in. And it was, it was frightening. And yet, that's what Peter says. That's how we're supposed to live in this world. Don't get too settled down here. Do not get too comfortable here. Don't accumulate a lot of stuff that's going to weigh you down in this world because we're supposed to be pilgrims passing through with a destination and a purpose. We know where we're going. And we don't need to accumulate a lot of stuff that just holds us back. We travel light because we don't belong here. We're aliens and exiles in a strange land. A World War I novel relates a story of two young men who become inseparable companions as, as warfare will do to folks who come from different walks of life. One young man was from a, a fine upstanding home and he had uh, lived an exemplary life and was a, you know, a, a clean, honest, wholesome person. The other young man had come from the, the wrong side of tracks and he had no family, he had no real guidance, no direction. He had been in trouble with the law and, and um, just really didn't have a whole lot to look forward to. Well, as warfare will have it, one day the man from the good family found a bullet in his chest. And he was dying in the arms of his friend. And he looked up at him and said, Your name has many marks against it. You have no place to go when the war is over. You have a past that you need to leave behind. Give me your name and let it die with me. You take my name from this point forward and live a good and decent life. I read that story and thought about that's what Jesus did for us on the cross. When he died on the cross, he took our past and our sins and our mistakes and our failures and he said, let it die here with me and take my name and my family and become a son and daughter of God. Become an heir to the riches of God. And you live a new life from this point forward. All that is there available for you. Confess your sins. Leave them behind. And become a new creature, a new creation in Jesus Christ. That's what Peter is trying to say to us here. You are God's own people. You are a royal priesthood. You are aliens and exiles in a strange land. That is who you are, and who you are determines what you do. And the question now is, how well are we doing what God says 
we are. Let's bow together. Father, help us to be your own people. Once we were nobody, once we were no people, but the God of the universe came and said, you belong to me. Confess your sins, leave them behind. Be cleansed and whole and come into fellowship with me. And you made us priests, you made us ministers to each other and representatives of yours in a world that desperately needs to hear what salt can taste like and what light can show up. But oftentimes we have conformed to the world and been transformed by the world instead of being the the influence that you intended us to be. And then you said we are to be aliens in this land, not to get settled down here. Don't get too comfortable. Don't accumulate too much. Travel light. Travel fast. Because there is a a destination and a purpose toward which we are heading. And it's in heaven. And some of us are going to get there sooner than others. But we're to take what brief time we have here in this world to prepare. So that when we arrive, we'll fit in. And we'll be comfortable. And we'll hear those words from our Savior, welcome home, good and faithful servant. Enter now into the joy of your reward. Father, we need your strength for the living of these days. So pour yourself out upon us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing an invitational hymn this morning, number 272. I lay my sins on Jesus.